Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today, particularly since it's the day before Thanksgiving, which is November 22nd, 2017. We're very, very privileged to have as our guest today, Dr. Ernst von Schwartz, and he is a cardiologist in Los Angeles. He's a triple board certified internist. He does heart transplants as well. He's a professor of medicine at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles and a clinical professor at David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. So I would like to bring him onto our show now. Welcome, Dr. Thank you very much, Denise. It's my pleasure to talk to you and your listeners. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. We're going to be talking today about the nine signs that women need to see a cardiologist about. Um, apparently, you know, heart disease is the most cause is it's the most common cause of death in the U.S. Uh, one in four women die from it. So it's going to be a very educational show today. I'd like to start the show out, though, by asking you, Doctor, why did you become a doctor? When did it all get started? Oh, interesting question. I have to think back. But um, um, I um, uh, went to medical school on behalf of my grandmother, who basically wanted me to be a physician. We had 21 physicians in the family history, reaching back to the uh, personal physician of uh, the Austrian Empress Maria Theresia. Um, so it was not even my choice. They pushed uh-huh. me more or less, but I was interested in it. And uh, my father had uh, severe heart disease, so by nature I was attracted to um, cardiology and everything which has to do with the heart. So that's uh, how I ended up where I'm now. Oh, that's really interesting. I love the stories, you know, what 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 motivates people to do what it is that they do. You have to have a passion for it, and usually the people that have passion are very, very good at what they do. So let's talk about um, the fact that one in four women die from heart disease. Why? Well, there are several reasons for that, Denise. Um, first of all, um, as we all know, uh, people nowadays live much longer than 20, 30, 40 years ago. And one of the reasons is that we have advanced therapies for different heart conditions like heart attacks 
Um, so people, men and women, both do survive more heart attacks than a couple of decades ago. ago. Um, on the other hand, that leads to uh, new entities, in particular something which we call heart failure or congestive heart failure. People survive heart attacks and strokes and other cardiovascular events, but they end up with chronic diseases. And uh, heart disease, as you know very well, is the number one killer in all over the world, basically, not only in the U.S., but um, in the rest of the world, too. And um, the one of the big issues nowadays is that women are still underdiagnosed and undertreated for heart diseases, um, and uh, there are several reasons for that. And one of the main reasons is that women often present with what we call atypical symptoms. So they don't have the classical triad of the chest pain or angina distributing into the left arm or on the jaw, but they often can present with very, what we would consider nonspecific symptoms, which oftentimes do not lead the doctors into the right direction, and uh, which delays treatment, uh, diagnostics and treatment. And um, I, I could name you several examples of women who were uh, misdiagnosed and uh, told by the healthcare providers, oh, there's nothing wrong with your heart. And a few days later, they ended up with a heart attack in the ICU mm. or even worse than that. Mm. And um, what are these nonspecific symptoms? Well, it's a, um, a variety of symptoms, but what we see in women much more in men is, like I said earlier, nonspecific symptoms. So we don't see so much the typical chest pain, but we see much more uh, symptoms like fatigue, weakness, generalized weakness. I have a lot of women who walk into our practices, um, and their only symptom is Doctor, I, I just feel so weak. I can't do what I want to do anymore. I mm. uh, cannot walk upstairs. Um, I cannot do uh, my housework. I just feel weak. So fatigue and weakness is a very prevalent symptom, and it doesn't automatically mean uh, that this particular woman has to have heart disease, but many, right. in fact, do and, and present only with that. Shortness of breath is another example, which is often in women more than in men misdiagnosed as COPD or emphysema or asthma or a common cold, um, but could be uh, in many, many cases um, a sign of either congestive heart failure or of lack of oxygen caused by coronary artery disease again, which doesn't need to present with typical angina pectoris, but sometimes can just present with shortness of breath, especially with physical activity. So if a patient tells me, you know, doctor, when I brush my teeth, I, I feel like short of breath, I, I can't really do it, that's, that's very suspicious. Mm -hmm. Another atypical or nonspecific symptom is abdominal pain. And as you can imagine, Denise, I mean, there's tons of reasons for abdominal or epigastric pain that could be a gastritis, could be from the gallbladder, could be from the pancreas. But oftentimes, especially certain uh, blockages in, in the right coronary artery can uh, lead to pain which is distributed more in the upper abdominal area than into the chest. So abdominal pain is, is often 
misdiagnosed as GERD or gastritis or some abdominal-derived factors rather mm -hmm. than um, thinking about that could be also a sign of lack of oxygen in the heart. I'll be done. What kind of test would you run to see? Well, um, first and foremost, of course, um, is a complete evaluation of the patient's uh, history, the risk factors, and a complete physical examination required. Okay. And um, that's sometimes easier said than done because um, in many cases, just seeing the patient and evaluating what the history is, what medications they are on, uh, what has been done in the past, what is their family history, gives us a lot of clues. So I just saw actually a 32-year-old woman a few hours earlier today who had some chest pain uh, with exercising, um, which, of course, is, is kind of suspicious. On the other hand, I mean, that particular woman runs marathons, is in the gym every second day for an hour and a half, and is extremely fit, has no risk factors, has no diabetes, no smoking, no high blood pressure, no cholesterol, uh, history, no particular family history. So, I mean, would we work her up? We would do some minimal testing to make sure the chest pain is not related to the heart, but I would be less suspicious than if I have a, a woman who is maybe 55 years old, has borderline diabetes, is slightly obese, and um, has a, a family history of heart disease, um, but presents with the same symptoms. So the symptoms can be exactly the same. In one case, it might be not related to the heart. In another case, it might represent a severe condition of the heart. And then beyond, of course, evaluating the patient's history, getting a complete physical examination, we usually, of course, would do an EKG, which gives us a clue in some, but not in all cases, and some patients um, would benefit from getting further non-invasive diagnostic tests done, such as an echocardiogram, which tells us something about the mechanical function and the strength of the heart, as well as the valves. Um, and in other cases, we would add a stress test, which could be either a treadmill running test um, or a bicycle stress test, or in some cases, what we call a chemical stress test, which is also an EKG during stress, but uh, in combination with pictures taken of the distribution of the blood in the heart. So a stress test gives us more a clue about the plumbing, if you wish, of the heart, whereas the echo tells us more about the mechanical functions. And oh, then we also look at the electrical functions uh, with EKGs mm -hmm. and sometimes with EKGs over 24 hours or longer than that. What's the test to check to see if your arteries are unclogged? Yeah, the ultimate test for this is um, a cardiac catheterization or coronary angiogram, which is an invasive method, and I'm sure you have heard about that, where we either go through the wrist or the groin into an artery with a small plastic tube, which we call a catheter, and mm -hmm. in an uh, 
cath lab or OR setting, and then we inject contrast dye into the coronary arteries. So that's a gold standard, if you wish, to see the coronary arteries. And that tells us um, if the blood flow is appropriate in the arteries which supply the heart with oxygen, but it also shows us if there's clogged arteries or blockages caused by calcium plaques or cholesterol plaques or if there's clots in the arteries. And if we see that, then oftentimes um, the next step is to open those arteries up with balloons or stents. However, this is, like I mentioned, an invasive procedure, and that would never be the first thing to do. That's basically the last um, method in our armamentarium, and we only would go that far to do an invasive procedure in a patient if there are signs and or symptoms of lack of oxygen in the heart. And those signs okay. and symptoms we get either from the history of the patient, what the patient tells us, or from the non-invasive tests like a stress test and echo, as I mentioned before. Interesting, really interesting. You know, the order of which you do things. Yeah, you usually do the, the simple non-invasive and also cheaper tests first, of course. Mm-hmm. It would be completely mm-hmm. inappropriate to expose every man or woman to an invasive test. Many people um, do um, calcium scans, for example, which is like an X-ray or CT scan of the heart. That uh, gives us an idea about uh, risk stratification and gives us like a static image of the arteries, but it doesn't tell us um, the appropriate information about the blood flow. So for that, we then subsequently still would need the angiogram, which, by the way, is um, uh, a relatively quick procedure nowadays. I mean, that's done in 10 minutes, but it has risks like any invasive procedure we do. Mm, Yeah. So we know that women can have a heart attack without chest pain. We've pretty much established that fact. Um, what are the two most common forms of heart disease that affect women that you run across? Well, uh, first let's go back to the uh, what we call silent heart attacks. Um, okay. Keep in mind that 30% of all heart attacks and that's for both men and women, actually, um, are what we call silent heart attacks. So people have a heart attack but have no clue that they do, and it's often diagnosed much later, sometimes years later, because it shows up in an EKG as a scar. So we see that more frequently, actually, in uh, people with diabetes. So diabetic patients have... um, an alteration of their sensitivity and their pain sensation, especially in the chest. So diabetics, um, more than than less, we, we see those nonspecific symptoms or no symptoms at all, and still something could be wrong. So if someone has diabetes and any kind of chest sensation, then we want to be even more aggressive with diagnostic evaluation. And then with regard to your next question, what are the two conditions or diseases which we see most nowadays in women with regard to the heart is, number one, coronary artery disease, which is 
as we established before, the blockage of arteries in the heart. And the bigger and uh, much more prevalent other condition is congestive heart failure. And mm. congestive heart failure um, can or cannot be caused by coronary artery disease. So we see a lot of, especially younger women nowadays, who present with heart failure independent on the existence of any blockage in the arteries. So that condition we call non-ischemic cardiomyopathy, which means it's a weakness of the heart muscle, so the heart doesn't pump appropriately, um, but not because there's any blockage or lack of oxygen, but for other reasons. And there are several other reasons which can lead to that. Um, it could be as, as simple as a, as a virus, in fact. The different viruses can attack the heart and can cause nothing else than flu-like symptoms with a little fever and weakness and sore throats and can affect the heart. And patients might might end up with either a myocarditis, which is an inflammation of the heart muscle, or subsequent to that, what we, as I mentioned, non-ischemic cardiomyopathy, which can lead to heart failure. And there's other conditions uh, which can lead to that too. Often we call them idiopathic cardiomyopathy, which sounds uh, uh, fancy but just means nothing else. And in fact, we have no clue where it's coming from. Oh, okay. Now, can people um, live a, a full life with weakness of the heart muscle? Well, yes and no. Um, nowadays, we have uh, so many advanced treatment options that we have tons of people diagnosed with uh, congestive heart failure or heart failure. Uh, statistically, there's approximately 6.5 million people in the U.S. diagnosed with heart failure currently. Of interest, uh, every year there's half a million newly cases diagnosed in the U.S. alone. So it's a very, very prevalent condition, and in contrast to all other cardiovascular conditions, it's the only one which increases in numbers steadily. So um, the number of heart attacks is actually going a little down, the number of strokes is going a little down, and in part that is caused by the fact that there's a little more awareness. There's more awareness mm -hmm. about risk factors and early symptoms. But for heart failure, that's not the case. So we see much, much more patients with heart failure now. And with a standard medical therapy, um, patients often can live for a prolonged period of time as long as they stay on the medication. So compliance is a big issue. Um, and as long as they don't overdo it. So someone with congestive heart failure definitely should not be a marathon runner or right. should do competitive sports, athletic sports. It doesn't mean that patients with heart failure cannot exercise. I do encourage all my patients to exercise to a certain amount, but they usually do have limitations. But there is well, a large does, proportion. Does, does a, uh, does a uh, patient that has a weak heart muscle, do they fall in the same classification as your heart failure patients? Yes, absolutely. And there is a oh, subset okay. of those patients who basically develop progressive heart failure. So oftentimes it is not a stable condition, but it can become unstable over time, over years in most cases. 
And some of those patients uh, end up in the hospital every month because they can't breathe. There's water in the lung. There's significant edema. And then there's further what we call advanced treatment options. The last uh, option in our armamentarium would be a transplant, a heart transplant. Of course, of course. I would I would think that with um, the weakness of heart muscle, um, that um, what are they uh, pacemakers? Those those assist the heart keep to keep it going. Well, uh, a pacemaker indication is made caused by what we call bradycardic arrhythmias, meaning if the heart doesn't pump fast enough. So if uh, the rhythm is uh, too slow, which can result basically in a reduced cardiac output, there are certain conditions like what we call a complete AV block, for example, or symptomatic bradycardia, secondary to a, what we call a sick sinus syndrome. Those patients would benefit from a pacemaker, but keep in mind the pacemaker's function, um, or the only function of the pacemaker usually is just to reestablish a normal heart rate, meaning the heart has to pump between mm-hmm. 60 and 80 beats per minute under resting condition. A pacemaker with some exception, and I'm happy to talk about this more, um, does not strengthen a weak heart. So um, here we distinguish between the electricity of the heart and the mechanical function. Mm -hmm. However, there are certain patients who do benefit from uh, a pacemaker with a third electrode, which can give a weak heart in certain conditions, um, some improvement of the contractile function and can improve what we call the ejection fraction of approximately 5%. So patients can benefit. But not every patient with heart failure needs a pacemaker. True. Not everybody's the same. That's right. Some patients need a defibrillator, which is um, a bigger device, and um, mm-hmm. that uh, a defibrillator is a pacemaker also, but with additional options, and the reason why we put a lot of defibrillators into patients with heart failure is because that's the only way to prolong life by way of preventing sudden death. So if someone has congestive heart failure and there are certain criteria which need to be fulfilled, which we measure by echocardiogram, for example, the ejection fraction has to be less or equal than 35%, um, then um, there is an indication to put a defibrillator in because those patients, and that's the same for men and women, by the way, are statistically at a higher risk of sudden cardiac death, and the only way to prevent the sudden death is um, having a pacemaker. Uh, I'm sorry, I apologize. Having a defibrillator in place. Uh, what's broken heart syndrome? Oh, that's a good question, Denise. I was asked this several times. So broken heart Mm. syndrome, as you know, is not a medical terminology. Um, But what it represents, and that is actually something we see much more frequent in women, especially middle-aged women, compared to men, it represents the sudden and unannounced weakness of the heart without usually coronary artery disease, without a heart attack, without the typical risk factors, but in the setting of an enormous stress. Uh, so in other words, 
any kind of stress, whether it's mechanical stress, someone undergoes a major surgery, or whether it's psychological or emotional stress, can lead to an acute weakness of the heart. And uh, I, I can give you an example of a very, very sad case which I just encountered um, a week ago where a relatively healthy woman was scheduled for a cosmetic surgery but was extremely anxious prior to that and um, developed as a result of her anxiety and uh, the emotional stress going into the surgery um, severe heart failure, um, what we call stress-induced cardiomyopathy, or the medical terminology is Takatsubo cardiomyopathy, which is the same like broken heart syndrome, um, and uh, actually passed away as a result of that, even before going into the planned surgery. So, oh, um, And that's something we see more and more now in middle-aged women without any precursors, without any symptoms beforehand, and that's even more difficult to diagnose because mm -hmm. those patients uh, suddenly present with signs and symptoms of heart failure. They can have EKGs which look like a heart attack, and uh, we need to be very quick then to establishing the right diagnosis in order to treat them appropriately. Oh, my goodness. The good thing is, on the other hand, if it's seen early enough and if there's no irreversible damage, then it can be, in most cases, actually fully reversible without any sequelae, without any damage to the heart. But there is cases where people do not survive that condition. Mm -mm -mm. The human body is so complex, you know, and the, the mind-body connection is definitely there. There's no question Absolutely. about it. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more, yeah. So, you know, when you think about it, um, men have very high-stress jobs most of the time, and there have been more and more women that have entered the workforce. So now they're in this exact same situation. Um, so why would it be that the heart disease would affect the women more than the men? Well, it doesn't affect the women more than the men. It just appears like that um, right now if... I just look at my census in one of the hospitals where I'm going to, um, there's probably 70% of the uh, heart patients are women. Um, women do still live longer than men, so mm -hmm. um, the older we get, the more likely we will develop heart disease. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think that the main reason is really it, it wasn't diagnosed in women early enough. doesn't mean they didn't have the disease. But as you said, now, of course, uh, women are, in my opinion, much more active than men, <laughs> most men, because they have to do family and job and mm -hmm. children and household and everything. So they are under enormous stress. Most women I know, um, middle-aged women, are under enormous stress, and um, they are at the same risk as as men for developing heart disease, but because of the um, sometimes untypical symptoms, um, there's still a lot of education to be done, also for and among physicians, to recognize early enough that there could be heart problems um, while uh, 
physicians often dismiss women for uh, whatever non-somatic symptoms. I mean, I have a read of a young woman who went from one doctor to another, and um, uh, she had fibromyalgia, which is a very non-specific, sometimes difficult to treat condition. And uh, since that diagnosis one was on her chart, nobody really looked into further testing than just said, okay, take pain medication, that's it. Finally, she collapsed in front of a doctor's office, had a massive heart attack, and uh, needed oh. to be resuscitated. Uh, subsequently, needed a heart transplant. But, I mean, she was lucky that she did survive. Mm-hmm. Um, she could have been diagnosed probably a year earlier if the physicians would have thought beyond the the normal presentation. So of course. We're including, we have to be very self-critical, and I'm including myself in that, of course, um, to not only look at the typical textbook presentation which we learn in medical school, but, I mean, everything is possible. And as you mentioned, everybody reacts different and can have different symptoms. Um, there's uh, co-founding variables and there's common symptoms, but even atypical presentations need and should to be taken seriously. Um, and... Uh, it's always better to to be proactive and preventive and doing some testing, even if it appears not necessary, rather than doing it too late. Well, what would be the appropriate age to start seeing a cardiologist? It's not really a, a matter of age anymore because we see a lot of young people with non-ischemic heart problems, so which is not caused by coronary artery disease. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. give any age limit um, okay. because uh, the, the symptoms count and the presentation. Um, I mean, we had recently a, a woman who gave birth and had a massive heart attack during delivery because of a dissection and rupture of one of her coronary arteries. Not saying mm. that's like the typical thing to see during mm. birth, sure. but I mean, it was a 24-year-old, um, and nobody would expect that she would develop heart disease. But everything is is possible, and we have seen a lot of atypical cases. So um, I would I wouldn't put any age limit. I wouldn't say everybody by 50 needs to see a cardiologist. I think. If someone has some chest sensations, breathing problems, nonspecific symptoms, and um, there's no relief with the standard workup through the primary care physician, then some of those women might um, uh, recommend to their primary care physicians to be seen by a cardiologist and get further diagnostic testing done. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. It really does. Are there some top tips that you could give women in closing with your interview today on how to prevent heart disease? Well, um, yeah, there's probably a couple of things. I mean, the um, the, the number one thing nowadays, of course, is um, whatever we would consider as a as a healthy lifestyle, and that includes. Um, Exercise includes a healthy diet, um, everything in moderation, basically. And um, there's one more thing. I I just remember that uh, I had a patient a few days ago who was actually 104 years old, 
and is in an extremely good shape. And I ask him, so what's what's your secret? <laughs> yeah, and, I would too. Uh, yeah. Well, he he told me a couple of things. Um, uh, one thing was uh, that he said he never exercised in his life, which was very <laughs> surprising to me. <laughs> um, but but um, he said he always walked and did a brisk walk, so it's kind of exercise mm-hmm. um, every day for a certain amount of time. But the main thing he told me was that he never ever was stressed out. Well. <laughs> As you can How imagine, do you achieve Denise. that? Exactly. You t- I have no clue. I wish I would know. I, I don't know how someone could do that. But stress is a big factor for all of us. So, I mean, try uh, to avoid your stress, you know. Um, we, we, did a, we did a study recently at Cedars where we evaluated actually uh, religious beliefs uh, with regard to um, the outcomes uh, with with heart disease, and mm-hmm. it was interesting to find out that um, if you believe in something, it doesn't matter if you are Jewish or Catholic or Muslim, it, it doesn't matter which uh, denomination you belong to, if you have any beliefs in a higher power, um, your outcomes are actually better than if you don't believe in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been published not long ago, so that's interesting. So believe in a higher power is, is probably a good thing, too. Oh, With regard to um, the um, symptoms, t- take it serious. If you have, mm-hmm. if you feel something, if you don't feel right, go to your doctors, have it checked out. Um, if you're not satisfied, then you might want to ask uh, for a referral to a cardiologist. If you have weakness, fatigue, shortness of breath, chest pressure, abdominal pressure, which cannot be explained by other things. As many people feel palpitations, irregularities of the heart. Don't be shy. I mean, we are all here to evaluate it, and it's, again, it's always better to preventive and check you out before something has, happens rather than getting the call at 3 o'clock at night that we have to rush to the cath lab. Well, thank you for your time, Dr. Ernst von Swartz. You've been wonderful, um, extremely um, gracious with your time and educating our listeners. If someone wants to come see you, how would they accomplish that? Uh, Well, we have a couple of offices. I'm at Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles. We have an office in Culver City. Um, We have another office in the Riverside County. So, I mean, the easiest way just Google me and um, uh, call the office up. I'm more than happy to. What's, what's your, your main patient. office number? Uh, 310-840-7089. Well, have wonderful holiday season. And again, thank you so very much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Denise, for having me on. This was my pleasure. Have a nice Take holiday. Care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, that concludes our show for today. Uh, Thank you for joining us. I wish you all happy, happy Thanksgiving. And um, we will be here again next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which is also 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So please tune in. Until then, be well. Bye-bye. 
We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What?